Uh, We are continuing this message series that's called Surrender, and the choir song was perfect, right? Because surrender is an act of trust, that we trust that God's ways are better than our ways. And that's not necessarily a natural position for humans because we tend to like our own ways. We like our own opinions. But surrender is an act of trust that if I follow God's ways, that life could actually be better, that I could be more faithful to God, and that God could do things through me that would never happen, would never happen if I wasn't trusting Him and surrendering to Him. In fact, our confirmands this morning, this is what they are doing. They're publicly proclaiming their surrender to Jesus as Lord. This is their decision. This is something that they're saying, I want to follow Jesus. Surrender is, is a way, it's a lifestyle for us, really. Uh, last weekend, Pastor Mark brought a powerful message uh, about how we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the works that Jesus did, and as Jesus promised, to do even greater things. That doesn't mean that we're personally superior to Jesus, but the way that God uses the church globally is incredible. It, that Just right now, you have, re- you have refugees who have fled the Ukraine who are being cared, and fed, cared for and fed by the church. You have folks who wake up in Africa drinking water that they receive from a well that, that our church has been a part of providing. You have folks around the world doing so many incredible things, and this is just one day, one church. God uses us in such great ways. So we, we talk about surrender. Remember, this is a decision in our lives. We, we face a choice whenever we make decisions. Are we going to follow God's way and put Jesus on the throne of our life? Or are we going to follow Satan's way and, and put our own pride, selfishness, or whatever it is on the throne? It's a decision that we have to make each and every time. Remember, the question is not whether you will surrender or not. The question is, to whom? To whom will you surrender? Will you surrender to Jesus' way, or will you surrender to Satan's way? And if you've been around for a little while, you've probably been to enough Sunday school or life group that you know, okay, Satan, Jesus. I'm guessing the answer here is Jesus, right? Can I go home now? Is that that it for today? Well, we're talking about more than just that. We're talking about the cost of surrender today. Because salvation is a free gift from God. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it, period. But discipleship, which means following Jesus, making Jesus the Lord of my life, that is extremely costly. We give up our way of living, in fact, to follow Jesus. We choose his way instead of ours. It means that when I say that Jesus is Lord, it means that I am not. So, thus, my living is shaped by my listening to the voice of God. My surrender to Jesus begins in my prayer time. It begins in worship. Uh, It begins in reading God's word and saying, God, how are you calling me? How are you guiding me to live? I want to share two stories today that illustrate the cost of surrender. First, from Matthew 19, Jesus is teaching And it says this, someone came to Jesus with this question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, if we pause there, we know that the answer is none. You can't do any good deeds to earn eternal life. 
But you have to remember that this guy is living before Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. It's before Jesus had paid the price for our sins. So he's looking at the law of Moses and saying, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to be saved by this? Jesus gives a typical Jesus reply. Why do you ask me what is good? (laughs) There's only one commandment, or there's only one who is good. But to answer your questions, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. Which ones? They're called commandments, by the way. (laughs) Not like options for a better life, right? Which ones? I bet I know who could answer this question for us. (laughs) She'd probably have something to weigh in on it. But Jesus, as an act of grace, throws him a softball. Jesus replied, with a few of the commands, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. The young man replies, I've obeyed all of these. I don't know if he's always obeyed all of them, but at least he believes he's doing pretty well right now. Like, here, let's go down Jesus' list. Well, haven't murdered anybody, uh, not sleeping with my secretary, uh, I I don't lie, Um, father and mother, well, terrible twos were kind of rough, but I apologize for that time. Um, You know, I'm a good neighbor. Of course I'm a good neighbor. I'm the president of the HOA. I make sure that all y'all are good neighbors, right? That's my job. He sounds like a good kid, maybe a little arrogant, but good person as a whole. But he has at least one major flaw, that is, he doesn't know how to stop when he's ahead. (laughs) What else must I do, he asks. Spoiler alert, he's not going to love this answer. Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Oh, he was certainly sad, all right, and maybe you're sad that I picked this passage today. <laughs> this is a tough one, Jesus. Couldn't, isn't there a lower cost, cost of surrender message we could hit here? Well, he was a young man who was rich. Now, we're, that's not terribly unheard of in our society because we live in the most productive economy in the history of the world, and so there are times where folks do become rich fairly early in life. In fact, let me introduce to you Ryan Kaji. Ryan is last year's uh, number one grossing YouTuber, okay? Ryan is 10 years old. His job is, it started when he was three, actually. He gets a new toy every week, and they record him opening it and reviewing it, right? That's how it started, kind of grown from there. Um, If you think that you did well last year financially, I might invite you to compare to Ryan, who made $30 million last year. On his videos alone, I mean, his parents work for him, you know. Like, how does that work out? Ryan, eat your vegetables. Dad, you're fired. (laughs) So we're familiar. That's an extreme example. But a young person being wealthy in our society is not terribly shocking. Where in theirs, it was very rare. Here's how it happened. Because this is a manual labor society. You can only accrue income so quickly that way. How it likely happened is that, that somebody in his past had built up a strong business, 
And he's taken that over now from grandpa and from dad. And now it's him. Someday his children. Someday his grandchildren. This is likely the case for this young man. So when Jesus says to give it all up, we're not just talking about your stuff. We're talking about grandpas, maybe great grandpas, dads, your future. This is a massive, crazy ask by Jesus. No wonder he goes away sad. If you want to be perfect... Go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. It almost seems like Jesus doesn't know his audience, right? This would have been a better sell to like poor struggling college students, right? Okay, I'll load up the 06 Pontiac, right, with all the stuff in my dorm room. Donate it to the UMW rummage sale. I'll be back in like two hours. We can go get lunch. You're buying. I gave it all away, remember? A lot tougher lot tougher in this situation. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Scholars have debated a little bit about what this means talked about like a big gate and maybe a small gate, you know, something like that. There's not a lot of great archaeological evidence in Jerusalem for that. I've got a helpful illustration here to explain it. So you have the camel. You're welcome. It's hyperbole. Jesus is saying, think of the biggest animal you see running around here. Think of the smallest space you can imagine. Well, I have a needle. It's pretty small, right? Try that one on for size. This is not going to work. That's tough news. This is a tough passage. Verse 27, even the disciples are upset. Peter said to him, or excuse me, back up, 20, verse 25, the disciples were astounded. Who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus, it's another vague answer. Like, come on, can't we be specific on this one? Peter's getting frustrated. Verse 27, we've given up everything to follow you. What do we get? It's a fair question. I had a good business, Jesus. I was fishing, remember? You called me to be fisher of men. The pay here, not too great, although the health care and meal benefits are pretty solid. But you know, what's in it for us? Same question we ask today, is it not? Jesus seems to be setting the bar so high. You want to know the cost of surrender? Well, look at your idols. Look at your idols. We all have them. When we've got an idol, an idol is just something that comes between us and God, right? Something we put in the place where God should be. We really have two options. Either you get it under control or you get rid of it. That's it. You don't, if Jesus is your Lord, you don't live with idolatry. For this young man, Jesus identifies. He knows everything. Remember, Jesus knows the heart. He knows everything. He sees what is the idol for this guy, and he identifies it. He gives him a command that's not normative for all of us. This isn't repeated throughout the Bible that says this is what you have to do. But certainly, for all of us, we shouldn't just let ourselves off the hook here. Because maybe money and possessions become an idol. 
to us. Or maybe it's other things. And Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to make money, okay? It's what we do with the money that matters. Luke 12, 48. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. When someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. By the way, that's every single person in this room, all of us. Look at global standards. We all are wealthy. So before you just text this to Jeff Bezos and think that you've lived out the sermon, it's for you and me too. Much is given, much is required. Mark told me a story last week, true story. There's this um, World Methodist Council that we, it's the group through which we've been inviting you to give to support the Ukrainian refugees. And we've actually, instead of just having you give to Anderson Hills and we pass it all along, we, we believe the urgency is so big here that we just wanted you to give straight to them so that the money could be on the front lines that same day. Okay, we, we, That's so important to us. So, so we really have no idea how much you're giving. Well, something interesting happened in that organization. Somebody was looking at the numbers and they noticed that a strangely high concentration of gifts was coming from Cincinnati, Ohio. And they asked around their organization, what, why Cincinnati? What's going on there? They find a missionary from Ohio named Sarah Putman. And they say, Sarah, do you have any idea about this? Well, I might know of a church that's doing some things. That's you. This is what Jesus is doing when we live out this passage. To whom much is given, much is expected. And I'm thankful, I'm thankful for our generosity here how it's literally saving lives this day. It's worth it. It's worth it to make Jesus your Lord. Is it not? His ways are better than our ways. So we understand the command's not normative, but it is certainly normative for all of us to be called to be generous and for all of us to be called to put our idols away, to get rid of them or to put them in the right spot in our lives so that Jesus is our Lord. Second, it's important that we read Jesus' words carefully. Verse 21, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect. Now, isn't that interesting? Did he come to Jesus and ask, how do I be perfect? Nope. He said, how, what do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? Well, <laughs> by Moses' law standards, perfection is thus the answer. We don't live up to that, do we? Jesus is the only one who's perfect, he, can't, he comes down from heaven, 33 years on this earth, no sins, perfect life, dies the death that I deserved, raises from the dead, conquers sin and death. And that's why we say Jesus is Lord. Not Jesus is my buddy, not just Jesus is a nice guy, not that he's an advisor, not that he's a good teacher. Nope, Jesus is Lord. He's the only one who came and fixed my sin problem. My sins have separated me from God. There's salvation in none other because Jesus is the one who fixes that sin problem. Thus, he's the only one who gets to sit on the throne of my life. He's the only one who is Lord. It's not just a nice idea. It's not just a nice set of teaching or a nice way of living. It is a person, Jesus, who is Lord. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because he's the only one that could fix 
that sin problem. This all, it leads to the answer to Peter's question, verse 28. Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man, that's Jesus, sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones judging the tribes of Israel. There's the disciples. Now for us. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But there are many who are the greatest now who will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. (laughs) It's an upside-down economy where if you want to win, you surrender. If you want to be first, you put yourself in last position. This is kingdom math. And it's challenging for us because we tend to think the way the world thinks. But Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is our example. That's the example that we follow. So I put my ways to the side and say, Jesus, I want you on the throne of my life. Because really, it's a gift from you anyways. So here's my life. Take it. Use it for your glory. Use it for your sake. That's what I want, Jesus. Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. Is there a cost to following Jesus? Absolutely. It's not cheap at all. Anything worthwhile in life has a cost. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily, meaning to die to my way of living, raised to new life in Jesus, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? What does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and lose their own soul? When I put other things on the throne of my life, I'm choosing that thing over my own soul. I don't want to be there. It's not a way to live. And it begins in the here and now. Randy Clark said last week, he said that being a Christian is not like buying a term life insurance policy where I write a check and then someday I die and somebody gets a big check, right? No. Being a follower of Jesus, when I give my life to Jesus, the benefits begin right here and now. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's not just a a pie-in-the-sky kind of business someday. It's a matter that when I give my life to Jesus and I start living for him, I start living in holiness, I start striving to live by the power of the Holy Spirit instead of by my own power, God changes me. He changes my desires. He changes my will. He makes me more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what surrender is all about. And it's really a joyful thing. I told you we'd give you two stories this morning. That's the first. Second's quicker. It's uh, a video of our missionary, 
there in, in, uh, in Romania, Sarah Putman. A couple weeks ago, I got to talk with her uh, on video about what does surrender mean for you? And, and I know we're not all called to global missions. That's fine. I think that as you hear her call story, though, I strongly believe that, you, that you'll find ways that God may be calling you and me to surrender as well. So let's check this out. I was a homebody, didn't go to camp, had no desire, like missionary, not even on the list. So I went to Cedarville and my junior year there, I was studying to become a teacher. My junior year, we were at a missions um, chapel. She passed out these commitment cards and said, if you're willing to tell God you will go, wherever he calls and wants you to sign this card. And it was so fast, I was like, this is for me. And so I signed the card and I put it in the basket and I left chapel that day just positive God was gonna call me to be hot, hungry, tired, and miserable for the rest of my life. Surrender in that moment was obedience and I trust you but I don't feel good about this. <laughs> and then in God's faithfulness, he did nothing with it for four years. And so I started teaching um, at Miami Valley Christian Academy in Newtown. An opportunity came to go to Romania with a team for the summer. God was like, I want you to go. And I said, all right, cool. Once in a lifetime opportunity. And I met a little boy who at the time was three and has Down syndrome and I just fell in love with him. I started sponsoring him, came back. And then it was just like what I did for four years that I taught during the um, school year, came here in the summer, I was like, God, you're brilliant. Like, obviously this is what you meant when you called me at Cedarville, right? In February of 2013, he was like, hey, we're done teaching. And I said, come again? <laughs> this is what I've been, this is what I've, this is the only thing I've ever wanted to do. And he was like, no, we're done. And it was one of those moments I was like, I'm positive this is God, so okay, let's see what happens. Stopped teaching in 2013 and just started discerning like what's next. I knew that well, I wanted to do counseling and I wanted to do it in Romania. The opportunity to come to Cluj in 2016 arose. My first night here, the pastor of the church here said, like was just vision casting for us and said that it was his dream to start a counseling center in conjunction with the church. And I was like, oh, I see you, Jesus. Finished my degree in 2018 and then moved here in 19. That process took 10 years like and god was just so faithful to ready me because if he had told me at cedarville that i was moving to romania i would still be hiding under a rock just that like one step at a time like okay i surrender do whatever you want and then it was not like suddenly my life was different it was this process of like okay one step at a time each step you can surrender a little more and then now i'm here you know things like i don't have a nine to five job um, and it's surrendering that like life doesn't have to look like what I expected it to look like. So have had to surrender to like funding and, and you know, I'm here on support and what did that look like? And how was I going to find the money to like, who wanted to invest in me? Watching God show up and just be like, um, all right, that took four months. This daily surrender of like, okay, Lord, I don't know. The same thing with the war. Like, okay, Lord, I don't know. I very much feel like this is where I want to be. This is where I need to be. There's been affirmation and being able to cross the border and come back that like, yes, God is still saying, this is where I want you to be. 
Um, but it still comes with the unknown and it still comes with um, feelings that don't necessarily match the surrender. I think for me, surrender has always been a choice regardless of how I feel about it. Oftentimes then my feelings catch up.